And welcome to another edition of the Big Nick Energy Podcast. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, and comment on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Pods, and Podbean. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Join our Facebook group. Join our chalkboard. It's a messaging board app designed specifically around gambling and sports. Our page is 120 members now. We're doing our next giveaway at 250, so make sure to join and share your friends. My very special guest today is James Shiano, host of the Metzed Up podcast, a content creator for Mojo, the sports stock market app, occasionally writing for the fantasy baseball website, The Pitcher's List, and a history and poli-sci bachelor's degree holder from the Ohio State University. James, how are you doing today, buddy? Good. How'd you find my major? Did you peep LinkedIn? LinkedIn, yeah. That's how I get all info for all my guests. I do that too on my podcast. We always go deep into LinkedIn. It's kind of fun when we have like baseball people or like other content creators to like see like the path they've come. And then you get the question like, how'd you know I did that? It's always like, it's always a fun moment, but that was cool. Cool to be on the other side of it. Yeah, dude. LinkedIn is the, it's the dating app version of social media. You only use it when you need it. Like you're only looking for a job. You go on LinkedIn. You don't actually use LinkedIn if you have what you want to do. Yeah, I mean, you're speaking to the choir. I've been hosting the Mets Stuff podcast officially with the Mets for almost a full year now and been with Mojo about nine months. And I very much stopped using LinkedIn since both of those things happened to me in my life. Yeah, I could have mentioned the Mets Marais too. And I was like, how deep do I really want to go in this thing? (laughs) So I mean, they were some of my first, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, no, James, thanks for for being here. Uh, Just so we are going to go over the Mets a little bit and Mojo a little bit later as well. I want to pick your mind for both those things. Uh, specifically the mojo for the marketing standpoint and the Mets as a Met fan. The Knicks are currently 29 and 30, uh, 39 and 29 at the time of recording, fifth in the East. They're a full game up on Brooklyn, but tied in the loss column. Technically, they're one full game up by being two wins up. Uh, the Nets have the same amount of losses, though. Since mm-hmm. the last time I recorded on here, the Knicks went two and two. We're not going to deep dive into all four of the games, just the last couple. We'll try to mention the Boston game a little bit because you want to start with the high and then go to the two lows we have. But James, before we go into the Boston game, at least for the Miami game, just the very last play or the last, I would say, three plays. Randall makes an and one on Bam. He might have got away with a push off offensive foul. They go up. He then they Miami doesn't score. He, they get the ball back. Randall then gets stripped by Tyler Hero, gives up the lead. And then Randall makes maybe the best shot of his career thus far, where he fumbles the ball like Tiki Barber. Just gets stripped by Jimmy Butler, does not go out of bounds. He grabs it, takes a dribble, fading away, gets a double bang. Where were you and what did you think when that double bang went off? I was at my friend's house. Shout out Mark. He's my co-host on the Mets Up podcast, Draft Nick Mark. Hanging out with my other friend Drew. We were playing. We just had like, last Friday was kind of chilly. None of us really had any plans or wanted to get out and about. Long week for everybody. And we just like, we're just going to hang out, do what we want to do, maybe play a board game or so. And we just had it on in the background as it was like kind of going back and forth. And we earlier last week went to the Nets games. So we all, we were all really steeped in our Knicks fever. Oh, so you had like just seen them blow out the Nets then. Yeah. Live in person. That was one of the most fun. That was probably the most fun game I've ever been to at Madison square garden besides way back all the way, like 2011, that playoff series against Celtics. But yep, yep. I digress. I think that was 2012 to 2010 series against Celtics. I don't remember. I was at, I was at game one when they beat the Celtics in one the series. They wound up winning, but however, I digress. That was just a cool moment as a Knicks fan who's kind of watched this team go up and down the last few years, specifically Julius Randle, because I feel like the Julius Randle from last year or the Julius Randle from three, four years ago, not two year ago, Julius Randle, because that's the greatest athlete who've ever lived. Yeah. <laughs> that Jew, this Jew, like that, like the Jew, the bad Julius Randle would have had like fumbled the ball or like maybe tried to fight through contact and just got pissed off. Like something would have happened. He would look at the ref. He would like throw his hands up. But the fact that he like fought, he battled, he persevered. And then he just like got up a shot that was not 
I'm not gonna say it wasn't what it was a good look because it still ended up going in. There were a lot of defenders there, a lot of attention. But the fact that he was able to be confident enough to take a loose ball, battle through contact, get a good enough look, and put the ball in the basket and kind of have his signature moment. Yeah, at least probably as a Nick so far. That was just a cool thing to see, like the maturation of Julius Randle. Because I think we still forget how young this guy really is. He's been in the NBA for so freaking long, but just amazing to see him keep taking these little steps forward mentally. We watch him uh, mature me- more mentally. I would say even week by week, month by month at this point, he unfortunately has gone back a little bit in the past couple of games. And I think that has directly to Jalen Brunson missing most of the past three games. Mm-hmm. Randall finished the game 43 and nine, eight to 13 from three, 16, 25 from the field. Brunson had 25 and eight. He unfortunately also injured his foot. That made him miss the last two, uh, two of the last three games. And then the last half of Sacramento last night, Mm-hmm. IQ started hit has been going off with the six man of the year thing, 21.711. RJ had 17 points, uh, shooting a 11 from inside the line, but over four from three, which is also a theme we're going to see. Uh, RJ's ability inside from three and his inability outside from three. And then Butler had 33, screw that guy, but again, screw the Miami game. Uh, more improbable than the Miami win because the Knicks were actually up a lot of that game and then had to pull it out in the end. The 131 yeah. 129 double OT win against the Boston Celtics wild absolutely insane tatum had 40 uh took 30 shots to get there wild brown had 29 8 and 4 steals they played 48 minutes 47 minutes al horford's old butt played 45 minutes in this game with 20 points and made six threes but the man of the hour the man of the day emmanuel quickly 38 8 and 7 four steals two blocks played 55 minutes and Malcolm Brogdon didn't even play in the game, which this game made IQ go from col- complete his current journey of being a plus 22,000, 30,000, whatever it was three weeks ago for six man of the year to becoming the favorite for six man of the year, including he, scoring, up favorite. he was for at least one game. He probably lost it last night. He literally got three points yeah. in his worst Worst outing since uh, yeah, December. And he, and he scored those three points like a minute left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, he almost helped. He helped out a little bit. Um, but he also scored seven points in the second overtime. Please tell me about the greatness that was Emmanuel quickly for at least one day. I don't know, man. I was entranced by that game. I've, I'm like, if I have to like rank the sports, like I like and my teams, like the Knicks definitely come in third behind the jets and the Mets, but it's also, they don't really overlap that much. So I always have to find my time during the winter. This is fantastic. We cheer for the same teams. Yeah. It's amazing. Not the same order, but the same teams. Yeah. And the Buckeyes go bucks. Of course. Oh, but that was like that was an entrancing game. I hate the Celtics. I despise the Celtics. I was Same. a little bit annoyed after crushing them a week and a half ago that there was like all these built-in excuses. Like, are right, you guys gotta come play come play in Boston? Uh Tatum got ejected. It was a ridiculous game, I wasn't getting any calls. Like Jalen Brown didn't even play. It's like, all right, yeah, cool. Just do undo all that stuff and let's go, let's go to your house and just beat you again. Without Jalen Brunson. Yeah, without Jalen Brunson, exactly. So we had the excuse. We still were able to win. It's just it's yeah. so freaking cool to see quickly mature. I've Loved him like a son since he was even at Kentucky on that team that he just kind of like was able to take over those games. Not like slightly less talented Kentucky team than we were used to in that era, at least. And yep. I was terrified when he was in the trade rumors in the offseason and just watching him mature and become just a freaking dog that he is. Sixth manual. He is so good. And that game was such a culmination of everything good he's ever done in his career. He was shooting. He was handling. He was distributing. He was active on the glass. He was really good on defense. Like he can just do everything. And I'm really happy everyone else in the league is starting to notice that. It's uh, absolutely amazing that's taken everyone in the league this long to notice it because we always say all the time that if you're in New York, you actually get more attention and you get more of the accolades that you deserve. Emmanuel quickly, I feel like up until the past two or three weeks, 
has gotten less attention than most New Yorkers usually would in the sense of like nationwide NBA folklore and media. He did like, there's a reason why he was so far down in the odds just a few weeks back, even though he had like top five numbers for almost all things and his plus minus, which I know plus minus is like a mostly kind of dumb stat, depending on the scenario. His plus minus has been amazing since he's been in the league. Like how does this man not get more recognition up until now? Well, a big part of that is probably when his head coach starts Alec Burks over him at point guard for 40 straight games less than a year ago. So I think that's probably part of the reason why it took a lot of people a lot longer than they should have to come around to him. Yeah. <laughs> However, it's just painfully obvious now. I mean, also, it's just like it's even ridiculous to think that he fell to about 20th in the draft. Like he's long. 25th. Like he has a cl- he has a clip. Like what, what, what was the issue here? Like why wasn't Emmanuel quickly a guy who was being lauded as like one of these like high profile game breaking guards to the next level? I'm happy that we were able to get him in the first year. Like in probably all of our lives, Knicks actually were lucky enough to have two first round picks. Yeah, absolutely. Also, Quentin Grimes, like back to back 25th overall picks. Grimes isn't nearly as good as quickly as yet, but I mean, he's a borderline great defender most of the time. Yeah. Like, that's great value for two 25ths. Absolutely. And (laughs) maybe that's just a lesson to the Knicks. Like, all right, you draft high all those years. No real guarantee you're ever going to get anything. Sometimes you got to bring these young players into a cohesive team that can actually allow them to like play their strengths and like cover up their weaknesses. And then eventually when they develop, that's how you get studs. Absolutely. Uh, again, IQ had his career high 38 points that game. Randall had 31, nine and four with a Russell Westbrook, like seven turnovers, uh, five of 13 from three played 46 minutes. Not quite IQs 55 Barrett had 29, 11 and three, 10 and 22 from two, uh, three and nine from three, which is actually his best three point shooting game in this stretch. Also played 50 minutes. Mitch with a double-double, 13 and 14 and 43 minutes. And it was just absolutely insane. The Knicks were down by as much as 77-63 in the third. The IQ, RJ, and Randall to close the third quarter out were involved in every single bucket. They actually scored every bucket, except Mitch had one dunk off an RJ, off an RJ pass. They ended mm-hmm. the third on a 25-10 to 10 run to go up 88-87, which just set up the fourth quarter in both OTs. Really, absolutely amazing game. Literally, the only bad thing about that game is we didn't have Breen and Clyde. Like, if we would have had them, it would oh, have yeah. been perfect, perfect. But instead, it was just like, this is a really great thing to watch. Yeah. I don't mind. What's weird is that when JJ Redick is on the call, Reggie Miller isn't as biased against us. I feel like, yeah, because he knows Redick someone's going like, to check him. down. Yeah, exactly. JJ Redick might like... be the best thing for media in some time. Him and Kendrick yeah. Perkins on first take and all saying all the stuff that's pro, pro Knicks all the time. They were chaotic this week. I just, I really needed a bang when we were on the 19 to 19 to two run or whatever it was. Yeah. Really need a bang. Whatever. Can't get them can... every game. We should, but we can't. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, well, uh, get lucky. yeah, exactly. And then just start with the, and the sadness, a nine game. You don't win every game. The nine game win streak comes to an end. We, it started with them losing 112, 105 to the Lomelo ballless Charlotte Hornets. The Knicks scored more points in the second quarter than they did in the entire second half. They got 45 points in the second quarter. I think it was 39 in the second half total. That's not yeah. good. Uh, the Hornets don't even have a mid three. They have a reg three of Kelly Oubre, Scary Terry, Rozier, and Gordon Hayward, who oddly enough has played in 17 of the Hornets' 22 wins this year, which kind of makes sense, I guess. They outplayed the tire and lackadaisical Randall Knicks mid three of no Brunson. So it'd be Randall, RJ, and IQ. It was a really, yeah. really rough second half. Yeah, it just it kind of just felt like their legs kind of gave out after that one. Like that Celtics game took so much out of them. That was such an intense, just an intense game. And you see the way you said thirty nine points in the second half, only sixteen in the fourth quarter. It's just at some point you just can't win every game. Stuff's not going to go right. And then you you they shot like twenty five percent from three. It's just sometimes that's it. That's kind of different. Two more of those threes go in, they end up shooting thirty percent, thirty three percent instead. It's a very different game. But 
you literally, you quite literally cannot win them all. So if you got to lose one, just throw out a stinker against a bad team, just get it out and then hopefully move on. I know you uh, said the thing about Tibbs starting Alec Burks over Emmanuel quickly last year for a lot of the year. So you might be on yeah. a similar Tibbs bandwagon than I am. Yeah. If there was ever a time to play Obi Toppin and Deuce McBride a little more minutes and that there was ever a time to use plus minus as like an indicator of whether your team is doing well or not, or your players really have it. Julius Randle ended up minus 20. I believe he mm. was minus 39 in the second half alone, which is you just horrendous. You couldn't get one shot to fall. Like it was just nothing. Him, Baird, and IQ front ironed so many things in the fourth quarter. Obi Toppin was a plus 13 and Deuce McBride was a plus eight. And Randall and IQ, who are literally both of their immediate substitutions for, were minus 20 and minus 15. I think there also, was, if there was ever a time to play him, it would have been then. That kind of is why it's funny that like we look at plus minus because like Obi was plus 13, sure. But he, first of all, he only took threes. He took attempted four three-point shots, zero two-point shots, which is bizarre from Obi. He didn't get to the line one time. He didn't put one other stat on the board besides hitting one just three. just one for so four like, three, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like plus minus is cool, but like... But you are watch you the game for, and you you're like, for... this dude's running up and down and the rest oh, of them sprinting. is like, yeah. it's like he is the most energetic person by far right now. Well, that's, that's the Tibbs effect because now that we're getting to this point in the season, now we have this rotation that is probably a little bit smaller than I say most other teams in the league, or at least when we are going right and Brunson's not there, they do have to tighten it up a little bit. So you do worry about just being able to like maneuver in a nightly basis. Like a game like this, like you're right, it does seem from the outside perspective, we don't know, we're not in the meetings, we're not in, this, we're not in the bench. It's hard for us. It's easy for us to tell. It's hard for us to realize what's actually going on, but yeah, just seems obvious. Like these guys might be a little bit tired. Like maybe an extra five minutes on the bench could change things for some guys. And we're again, neither of us are NBA coaches. I don't think either of us ever will be. However, from our perspective, it seems like that could have made a difference. It would take one of us being our, the coach of our kid probably at this point, since neither one of us really has a basketball background, and then just going like proving our worth all the way up. You know, <laughs> follow them all the way to coach at Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Beautiful. Now, I actually oh, got man. to the got to the point of my notes just for the second half. Randall was a minus thirty two. Quickly was a minus twenty six, and Mitch was a minus twenty four. I think I hard Deuce and Obi could have been a little bit better. Yeah, probably. And you, you, again, we say that it makes sense, but we don't know what would have actually happened on the court. So, and they'll hard. never admit that they're tired. No, of course not. Nor should they. I want them to not admit that they're tired. That's good. That's better for us in the long run. I you probably saw not the Josh Hart quote, run, but yeah, of course, that's a great quote. I love Josh Hart. Oh my god, tell him a quote. Oh yeah, no. It was like there's guys that play that work twelve hour days and will go to work at six a.m. every day. We play a we play a game. There's no reason for us to complain. We should just be professionals out there. I I paraphrased, but that was basically it. Yeah, that no, was freaking beautiful. Josh Hart said all the right things since coming, and he's just been. This was the first time Josh Hart lost as a Nick. Yeah. Now he's nine and two, which I, yeah. I'll take nine and two all the time. Tell me about my football teams. As a Jeff fan, I would take nine and two, and ever literally I mean, anytime. Next year, I'm going to say 10 and one probably by that point, but nine and two would be, it would suffice. I don't want to jump too much into the non basketball stuff yet since we have more and more game, but we could sidetrack yeah. a little bit. Are the Jets getting Aaron Rodgers? I hope so. <laughs> it feels like they might. If they don't at this point, I'll be really, really upset, but I would like them to very much so. If you find out that Jimmy Garoppolo well. starting instead, how much are you going to cry the next day? I'm going to be super unenthused for the next season. Yeah. I really hope if they do get Jimmy G, I really hope they actually keep Mike White because neither one of them can play a full season. And oh, I can't, can I can't tolerate sure. Zach Wilson anymore. Mike, Mike White's the best backup in football. Yeah, he might Mikey be. Mikey Blanco. Maybe Baker Mayfield still. We don't know, but one of the two. I, I hate that guy. All right, back to basketball. That's okay. Uh, and then lastly, the Knicks uh, were at Sacramento last night. They lost 122-117. They mm. were down 16 the same way they were up 16 against Charlotte. 
They clawed and fought their way back. I believe they were up one at one point in the third or mm-hmm. fourth, like late third, early fourth, and they just they collapsed at the end of the ge- end of the game again. I actually wrote it down. If you combined the second half of the Hornets game and the first half of the Kings game, they the Knicks were a minus thirty nine. Follow these numbers real quick. They Jeez. shot a combined. They shot thirty two of ninety eight from the field, which is just under thirty three percent. And this is the real worst one: eight of forty two from three between the two oh, halves. God. 19% from three. Jeez, that's crazy. They were oh outscored god. 131 to 92. Oh my god, that's terrible. 131 in four quarters. Yeah. Disgusting. And just, that's that, basically that giving up the Kings bad. the whole year. Yeah. <laughs> it was just it you just felt it too again, like coming off that tiredness of that Hornets game, then going all the way across the country and playing Kings team that has the some of the best fan atmosphere in the entire NBA right now, lighting the beam and Light just the beam, also. Man. It's also just a decently good team. Like it's pretty deep rotation, and it's, it was hard. They really couldn't really contend, and it, feel, it felt like also Brunson leaving the game with reaggravation of his foot injury kind of took the wind out of their sails. And then the Knicks also just don't really have the type of the type of wing defender that can do anything to Demontis Sabonis. No shot, no shot. We all we all talk about as Knicks fans that Randall is a Sabonis killer. Randall and Sabonis almost never covered each other. Sabonis has been a center. I guess that he did in Indiana because they saw Miles Turner, but. Sabonis on the Kings is the center and that's all on Mitch and iHeart. and Sabonis is the type of dude that just puts those guys in foul trouble. And we see it mm-hmm. over and over again. Mitch got four fouls in 20 minutes. iHeart, who ended up playing more minutes than Mitch also ended up with three or four fouls in like 22 minutes. And the Knicks ended up going small quote unquote. And I want to run this past you because I think I read it from the Strickland, but I've also just thought this on my own before the Knicks go small and their small lineups been Brunson and or IQ, I guess in this instance would be, IQ, Grimes, RJ, Hart, and Randall, which that sounds great on in theory for 2K, but that's yeah. literally too small because Randall is 6'8, RJ is 6'6 six, six and a half, and then they're all below 6'4. If we're going to go small, how is it not Randall and Obi at the 4'5? I just don't understand. I don't know. I think there's probably just some other stuff about Obi that's not really just, he just, uh, Tibbs might just not think he's good enough to hang on defense to really be able to do this. And even, I think just having Hart on the floor, though, even with those small lineups, it helps so much because of how good he is on the glass. I think he had, like, what, seven offensive rebounds last night alone? He was total, yeah. Freaky down there. But that does help when you're able to go small in a lineup. The fact that you can have a guard out there who's 6'3 and a half, 6'4 on a good day, be able to, like, you know, get down there and clean up for you. But it was still just – it just felt like they gave up so much energy to get back in that game. This is such a tenement in basketball all the time, especially the NBA, that – you just kind of run out to actually get yourself over the top. They almost had to run too soon. Like getting hot at the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, you were like, oh man, this, there is just enough time to get back down again. And that kind of is exactly what the happened. The last also, five minutes, Fox just took over. Yeah, Fox is incredible too. Fox is so lightning quick. He he was the guy we should, oh man, what was that? It was 2017 draft. That was that was the one. Yeah. Damn. We literally just watched Josh Hart for all for all of the pros that Josh Hart's given us in his 11 games here. And especially even last night, like, the 15 rebounds, the nine points, the seven assists. Like he almost had his first ever triple double. He also just got torched by Fox over and over again. And Quinn Grimes, who actually Quinn Grimes and Deuce McBride both are similar in the sense that like if the guy is taller than them, like two to three inches taller than them, for as much as they try to pester those guys, they really can't do much. They're giving up open shots over their heads. It is what it is. But for guys that are their height or only one inch taller than them, they are phenomenal, and Grimes was doing a better job on Fox than Hart was, and we just didn't, even though Grimes was super hot in the third quarter and hot to start the fourth, he had 16 in his 19 points, I believe, in the second half. 
mm-hmm. just went with Hart for too long and Grimes didn't cover Fox and then Fox torched us and that was that. It was also an issue with IQ was like on, on him and off him. We also couldn't get a shot going. It was just again, they went Knicks went 13 50 from three. So in two yeah. games he didn't hit any threes. That tells me the legs might be a little tired. And that's that's okay because it's been a tough stretch. This is there's a perfect amount of time right now where you can get a little bit cold before the playoffs and then get hot one more time. It's okay. You were really good and then you dip, you dip a little bit and then you find the momentum again. Cause there's still, there's at least with the difference in, in like not so much Torrance game, but last night's game, at least they're playing good basketball against a good team. And they made it very competitive. It's weird to look at the Kings and be like, yeah, good team, but they are they a good are. team. They're very talented team. They're well coached. They have a lot of good players who do a lot of different things. Keegan Murray. Wow. That guy does so many things well in the basketball court. He's, he just always seems to be finding the right nooks, crannies, crevices, space. And Kevin Herder is just freaking annoying. I really don't like him at all. I hate playing against him. Agreed. He, he, he didn't even have a good game last days. night. He actually was the reason why I didn't go three for three, three in a row in my parlays because I had uh, Sabonis over with Chet, Mitch over with Chet, and then Herder over two and a half threes. That's the, only, that's the only thing I've missed in three straight games. I was eight for nine. Two and a half threes is pain, but that's all. That, that's kind of feels like a high number there. He took seven, two for seven. That's yeah, that's yeah. Kind of, well, yeah, yeah. What are they gonna do? Hey, it happens. But freaking New York Albany guy, and he just found a way to. He hit, he had a couple of big shots too at the end. He hit the big three. That was the response. I can't remember if it was the Grimes three or IQ's only three. And then he had a he had a putback that made Tom Thibodeau. That putback was like, like the oh. end of the game. Yeah, that was yeah. rough. I think they put him up six or seven, and then that was we just couldn't make up that that deficit from there. That was that was the rebound of all the rebounds we didn't get that we needed to get. Yes, also, was also like a second third opportunity too. Yeah, I would feel bad if we didn't mention Malik Monk. Malik Monk went absolute like Eight. lights out, heating up. He's on fire in the second quarter. He got 14 right. of his 19 points in that period. He went five of six, including three three of three from deep. Uh, Monk barely didn't even play that much in the second half. He didn't do that much in the second half, but his second quarter on top of their ball movement was why they went up in halftime up 16 on us. There's also consecutive games for Monk. I'm just going to double check right now. Oh, no, actually, no. He only had one last game, but just him hitting four threes was crazy. I know even just talking Mojo stuff. Maybe start transitioning a little bit. His line was set at like one and a half. Maybe it was like one, maybe it was like a buck 20. And he had three threes, like bang, 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 second quarter. And that thing went like 200% up. This is actually perfect because the next thing I want to go over RJ, but I'll do RJ after the Mojo since you already mentioned it. Yeah. And you're just so sad anyway. So <laughs> no, it's all good. I actually, I have a bunch of pro, like a good bunch of good stats for RJ versus bad stats. I feel like he's been getting bashed a lot. And since the All Star break, he's actually shown progress in almost every single statistical category offensive and defensively except for shooting threes which mm-hmm. for how much this dude allegedly i'm not saying allegedly he does practice mm-hmm. for how much this dude yeah, practice it blows my mind yeah. uh but james about mojo i know you just mentioned the over under thing so you guys added the player props thing relatively recently right can you explain to people how it works versus a different gambling app absolutely we added what we call well but just to like bring it back a little bit mojo talking about it we do some work with uh big nick energy here so building this relationship here. It is the sports stock market. So the way we launched, it launched specifically with the NFL. You can basically make a bet on a player's career, like over under the the absolute conglomeration of all of their stats over under it. And you can like win money, profit percentage based, based on how different their expectations change. Or if a player retires, you get every stat that they've earned so far in their career. And there's dollars and cents values associated with every single stat, football and basketball. But that's cool to towards, know. I didn't know the retire thing. The retire thing cuts it off and then you, it just cashes out automatically. That's the whole key with Mojo is that you get a guaranteed payout when a guy retires because gotcha. most player share prices are Mojo are based on like what they've earned in their career, like the things they've actually done and then what the, our market expects them to do. So that's what your price creates. So you have these two elements of a price, which is the earned and the future. The future is kind of what you are betting on. You're betting on whether or not a guy's going to do better than this. You can kind of, the way I like the same as a normal stock. 
Yeah, exactly. And the way I like to break it down in content a lot is like you kind of take a guy's production in his career, you either like divide it up by year or by game, and then you kind of see how long the market expects for them to play for. And that's kind of the intuitive way to get through it and kind of see if you can beat it or not beat it. But I digress. We did add these single game props towards the NFL playoffs. We opened them up to a few like very select beta users, people who are very enthusiastic and play the product very consistently. And it worked really well for football. It was cool. Touchdowns, yards. By Super Bowl, we were doing field goals, sacks. It was fun. And then we kind of realized this would be just incredibly fun for basketball because every single night you have so many teams and so many players. You could do threes, points, points plus rebounds. It's very good stuff. So when I was explaining Malik Monk, three-point lines are the most volatile because they're going to start the lowest. You know, if yep. the guy's projected to score 20 points, you'll profit if he scores 25. You're only going to that's only gonna be 25% profit. So it's a little bit different than actual gambling where you kind of have less risk involved, but you also it's like you're not your rewards are kind of capped because let's it's say either yes over, or no. It's yes or no, it's not percent uh, it, exponential. Uh, but yeah, exactly. So th- that's like a binary bet, regular sports book. But mojo, you go percentages based on the line that is set. So like, and they say the less risk thing, you're like, oh, the gambling, less risk. That's a kind of ridiculous thing to ever hear. Like, the slapped responsible gaming language on me. But in sports book, <laughs> if you bet over 20 and a half and the guy scores 18, you lose 100% of your money. But in Mojo, right. if you bet over 20 and a half, you go long on it, he scores 18. You that you only lost like 10% of your money. So oh, a $20 wow. bet, you only lost two bucks. But also if it goes 25, then you make 25%. So that's why it's like the points The points bets are a little more tame, but the three points bets are insane because the guy's only going to be projected for like one, two, three, maybe the Steph Curry, four and a half, five, barely. So a guy like Malik Monk, who's only expected to really hit one three the entire game, you bet the over 1.33s. He hits one, his projections are already way up. So you can cash out at that moment, like based on that projection. Because if he hits a three in the first quarter, the market's going to say, all right, he's pretty likely to hit another three the rest of the game. He's almost yep. a little bit likely to hit two. So that's kind of the beauty of these. Like everything in Mojo is liquid. I can go in out the whole game. So again, Monk, it's three. He has two threes. He has three threes. He had all four threes in the first half. So that prop got all the way up to like five at one point. So if you would have bet in for the one, you would have gone 4X your money if you would have cashed out in that moment. And then it ended up trickling back down to four because he had none the rest of the game. And we've seen people in the product like kind of like switch their bets and like find the middles in this kind of like when you think of arbitrage for stocks or different kinds of gambling on different books where I've seen this happen with RJ in, I want to say it was the Hornets game because he got really hot from three in the first half, right? Remember? Yeah. He got hit like three in a row in the first half and there was no more the rest of the game. So if you would have bet over an RJ in the first half, you could have made like 75% profit on your bet. Then you would have been like, wow, this guy's legs are really going. I just watched him miss two because he did his last one in the second. He missed two more and then he was nowhere close in the second half. Right. You could have sold your shares of going long at that moment and then flipped and then shorted him. You're walking out with like three, three and a half, four X of your money. If you could hit those things all perfectly. We saw some dude who plays last week, like hit a Joel Embiid three like this. Like he was in and out of two trades in less than a minute and he made wow. like 400%. It was crazy. It was unbelievable because it was so close to the end of the game that the, we, we there were like almost no chance he's actually going to hit one. Yeah. The price to buy in was like 15 cents a share. Then he hit it and the guy sold it for the one and it just trickled all the way up. So that being able to go in and out like super quickly, that is kind of the beauty of what Mojo is. Like you can watch this game, you can see how it's going, and you can like track momentum with your mind and then jump in, go out, go back, flip sides. Like that's kind of the fun of it. And then for someone that's because I I definitely got everything you're saying as, as someone that's more of an experienced gambler, and then I do stocks also, so it's easier to follow. For someone that's mm-hmm. never gambled before or even never even done stocks before. What is the easiest way for them to get into Mojo and how can they follow and build their uh, experience up from there? I mean, the first thing you should do is definitely follow us on all socials, just at Mojo, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. And then kind of like what I was saying more, like I say your way to dip 
the, your toe in is kind of go on these game by game, just the points bets, because like I said, they're going to be much less volatile, but it's going to be something cool to watch. So put them like, and do whatever you feel comfortable in. Always please God, always gamble responsibly. It's the number one thing we have to do. And just be able to like watch the game and like see how the expectations move and see how that affects the way you're watching the game. Like if you bet over Donovan Mitchell, 27.6 points, that's where his prop is somewhere about tonight, Friday, March 10th, when we're talking about it, you'll be able to kind of see and feel, and there's never really going to be that crazy of spikes in every direction. Unless Donovan Mitchell you know, rolls an ankle at the beginning of the game, in which case that stinks. Or unless someone like you bet in a big man, he gets into foul trouble. That's why sometimes the points plus rebounds bets are fun too. Horford, mentioned it before, alluded to, has been on an absolute tear recently. Yeah. Like, I think two or three of his last five games, he's gotten, like, double-doubles. And his season averages are, like, nine and six. So these lines have been set between, like, 13 and 15 these last couple of games, and he's putting up, like, 24 and 10. Yeah. He had twice in the last week. I don't know what the Celtics did in their last game. I don't remember it because we're moving kind of fast here. But twice he went over, like, 25, 30 points plus rebounds. And I would imagine set, Horford's like, three-point yeah. three prop against the Knicks when he hit six and he's probably oh, like, was, he hit one was abstra- astronomical. Literally to the moon, but those points plus rebounds ones I thought were interesting because those are ones that if I was like looking at the market before the game, I'd be like, these are more, a little more stable. I'm expecting these to be a little less volatile rather than like a three-pointer kind of bet like that because those are those are the crazy ones. If you want to go pandemonium yeah. betting on Mojo, do you bet three-pointers because it gets crazy, hectic. Three-pointers are the penny stocks of Mojo. Yeah, for sure. And also because it literally is the penny stock because you're buying it for yeah. like a buck, two bucks, yeah. three bucks. Where if you're buying at the points, you're buying a stock that's like 16, 18, 20, 25. So that's kind of where the difference is. So I think if you want to kind of like dip your toes in, do something with a little more stability, do something where you can like track and watch and not like feel crazy on it, do a points, do a points plus rebounds, do a points, rebounds, and assists, and kind of watch things go up and down. And for Get everyone, a sense listen- of how the market moves. Yes, absolutely. I would say points points and rebounds are probably the two easiest ones to follow because they have the highest settings and then assists for like Trey Young, for example. For everyone listening, use our code BKE75 to get a special offer that, that downloads and uses Mojo. Also, Mojo is giving, uh, a, what is it called? The no-brainer bet for Julius no-brainer. Randle. Instead of yep. having to hit 20 points against the Lakers on Sunday, March 12th, he has to get five points in order for you to win. Max bet at $20. Uh, use where available. Yes, New Jersey. And that also kind of plays on the same ideas I'm talking about, where he has to get five points to break even. Six is the profit. And then if he gets 10, that's double. If he gets 15, that's triple. Yep. If he gets 20, that's quadruple. So if it's like last week and Julius Randle on the Sunday goes for 30 plus, like you could be looking at a very, a very nice gain for, again, the no brainer bet. Julius Randle, five points. Hey, if Anthony Davis ends up missing the game, Julius Randle getting 30 seems almost like a lock. So that sounds like a bet yep. worth taking. God, watch out for Jared Vanderbilt. The guy's all over the court. He's like a spider. Yes, I hope he would cover Mitch. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Probably not. Probably not. But you but know. Lakers. We, I think Nick's gonna handle the Lakers. I think that Julius Randle. I think everyone's gonna have a big game. So no brainer bet this Sunday. You can buy in right now. Take that money. Take that money. And then lastly, James, you like you said before, you do host the Mets Up podcast with Mark Luino. Did I say his mm-hmm. name right? Yeah, you got it. You know, nice. I got the, I got the Italian thing down. But you guys record and air a new episode after every series for all Met fan followers, which I do have quite mm-hmm. a few that tell me to do a Mets podcast. I don't follow the Mets nearly as much as the Knicks. If I know you said the what would you say Mets Jets Knicks for your three? Yeah, you're you the opposite. I will. I actually like the Jets the most. I like the NBA more than the NFL as a whole, but I like the Jets more than the Knicks. The Mets were my first love. The thing is, baseball through my OCD and ADHD of every other person in our generation and younger, it has, uh, it does falter, which I want to actually get before we go into the Mets thing. What is your opinion of the pitch clock and how much do you think this is going to help for future generations to become fans? 
I love the pitch clock so much. I've just, I'm a baseball freak. Baseball's my number one, always will be, always has been. And I've been like, I've been seeing the pitch clock a lot the last few years. Cause I've been, I went to the Arizona fall league two years ago to interview Brett Beatty there, who is now going to be a superstar in the New York Mets. And I've been to some Brooklyn Cyclones games, you know, here and there. And the pitch clock has been active in both of those places since then. Getting a call right now. Going to mute that. So be sitting in the game and like seeing how the pitch clock actually worked in terms of what was going on in the field. It was it was so apparent that it was a better product. There was better entertainment. There was a little, it was just better flow. Everything worked significantly better. And I do think that as we go years through this now, people are going to realize that, oh, this is the way baseball kind of was played when it was the most popular sport in this country. This is kind of the way that like the cadence that was meant to be played on. Not It used to be an hour 40 the- games on average. Well, that's never going to happen again because now we have offense and strikeouts and pitchers will have velocity. But and cutting down the time between yeah and the commercials, cutting down the time <laughs> between pitches from near an average nearly of thirty last year to fifteen seconds this year, is it's you're going to be cutting like a half hour forty minutes off every single game, and we're already seeing that with the World Baseball Classic going on. Started earlier this week, where they have no pitch clock in the World Baseball Classic. Those games have been routinely four hours long. Yeah, and the spring training games are routinely two hours twenty minutes. So think about that difference of time: two hours twenty minutes versus four hours. It's crazy. And also, though, I do want to push back on your sentiment that you know baseball is dying with the generations. Baseball, the last couple of years, in terms strictly on social media, has had mentions that rival the other the other major sports in this country. So I do think that there is a young generation right now who is falling in love with baseball. It's a very star laden sport and has some of the most exciting plays I've ever had in the entire history of the game. And I think that with the pitch clock, no more shift. I think there's going to be a pretty a lot more stolen bases as well. I think it's going to be a pretty cool year for baseball in this country. For the older generation that I would say people, maybe your parents' age, grandparents' age, et cetera, the ones that I've heard that do have negative feelings about the pitch clock, what has been their main gripe against it? And what would you say to convince them otherwise? Outside, out, like if they don't care about the time, like they're like, I don't care if a game takes four hours, I go to the game for it to be at the game. What would your be your pushback against them saying like, this is ruining the American pastime, quote unquote? Well, I think I would tell them, like, I mean, I'm sure you've been sitting in City Field or Yankee Stadium at like 1042. And you're like, if I don't leave here in the next 20 minutes, I'm going to miss my train. And, and this game I work st- at 7 a.m. Yeah. And this game is still in the top of the eighth inning. So I think yeah. that would be the big one. I tell you that everything is going to become easier. And I, I heard a minor league executive talk about this last year, uh, last week, talking about last year. Like, were you guys concerned with the pitch clock that was going to hurt your concession st- sales? And the guy was like, honestly, it didn't hurt them at all. Because the fans are staying here the same amount of time anyway. Usually people were just leaving in the seventh inning yep. after it got to two and a half hours because they would get tired or bored or have to get home. So I think now that the game's just going to be over at 930, that's the time everyone's leaving anyway. So I do think that, again, and the one thing I've heard people be upset about is just literally the fact that there's a clock in baseball. It's meant to be an untimed, unclocked sport. And I do see that a little bit because I think there's a lot of moments in baseball where the anticipation is critical and it's key for a moment. So I do think there is a chance that we amend this rule eventually to the regular season where we will turn it off in the ninth inning. I think that kind of makes sense. I think we have a little, probably little ways to learn about this rule and understand it. There've really been a handful of infractions during the spring, but if I look yeah. at minor league data from last year, there were over twice as many infractions the first month of the season, like per game than there were once you got past it. So I think it's just something these guys have to get used to understand the muscle, learn the new strategies, learn the new mechanisms, and then move forward from there. And then one thing about the World Baseball Classic, I read this, maybe you could confirm this a little more. The guys that are actually in MLB that were pressing and training with their teams prior, they're the ones that are still pitching within 20 seconds. And the guys that are, they're part of the Korean League, Japanese League, minor leagues that don't have it, etc. They're the players that are actually still taking 30 to 40 seconds in between pitches. Is that correct? I can see that. I haven't watched that much yet because a lot of the teams that have more of the major league players haven't begun yet. The two the two groups that started were the groups and uh, they're playing in to- Tokyo and Taiwan. Yeah, they're also weekend. at two in the morning. 
Yeah, exactly. Oh, there were a couple. Yeah, there were a couple games in the late, late afternoon. China and Czech Republic played a crazy game that started at five this morning, ended about nine nine fifteen. Where Czech Republic had a big comeback and a walk off home run, pretty cool. Czech Republic has a couple of fun players on it actually. But tomorrow, Saturday, so probably not tomorrow when you guys are listening to this, but on Saturday starts the real groups. The groups in uh, the groups in Most Miami. Most likely today for anyone listening. Yeah, today for anyone listening. And those are ones we're going to see. So I will be interested to see actually be able to track that just mentally. Like, are these guys actually taking all their time or are they like uh, sitting back and relaxing knowing they don't have the clock on them? Right. I feel like, I mean, if they, they care about MLB more so than the World Baseball Classic, I would imagine they're most athletes are people of like robotic routine. They probably want to get used to the fast, the fast ways versus the old way. I tell you this though, these players love the World Baseball Classic. They love it so much. It's such a big event for them because a lot of these players like, most of their baseball lives are coming through their countries, especially a lot of the players from Latin countries. Like so much of what they've done their entire lives, but I'm playing baseball people from my country. And there's like, there's a lot of pride there. Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Puerto Rico. Like this is so important to them. I just remember I was in spring training two weeks ago and we talked to uh, Carlos Beltran, who's now as a front office role of the Mets. And this is the first world baseball classic. He's not participating in. He played in all four world baseball classics, 14 Puerto Rico beforehand. And just mentioning the world baseball classic, you watch him like lean back and light up like, it's fun to get there with all the guys and like everyone could be together. Yeah. And like, you can really feel a sense of like camaraderie and pride when you get in there, everyone in the locker room has shared experiences. Everybody's a shared like vigor and like love for the game on the field together. And you can really, you could really feel the passion when you talk to the players about it. And I think that's the coolest part about the world baseball classic. I absolutely love that. Got it. Everyone that's listening has to tune in at least for a couple oh. of the games and for a couple of the games as in the Puerto Rican games, cause they have a lot of Mets and then American games because of America. And uh, Puerto Rico is playing Dominican Republic later this week. And that is it. They are say they Dominican sold Republic's out Marlin, number one team. They sold out Marlin stadium. They ah, sent, they messages. can't sell out Marlin stadium for playoff games. That's unbelievable. It's $300 to get in as the time of recording this. What? I have friends who are traveling to go, but it's going to be the most electric baseball experience in this country. Like ever it's going, they had to send out messages to like people who live like near, where they have Marlins Stadium down Miami-Dade County to like expect crazier than usual crowds for a baseball game. They sold it out. It's going That's to be amazing. legitimate chaos. I cannot wait to watch that game. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. And for all the listeners, what time is that game again? I don't remember what time that game is. I'll tell you right now. I'll get it right now. But I was going to say, look, I'll look it up. I'll, I'll uh, filibuster for a little bit. I'm actually, you're making Tuesday. me super excited to actually watch this. And I wasn't going to watch. I have a Dude, lot of time to kill at work, so. It's super, super, super fun. Like I, it's something, it's like kind of a meme with me and some of my friends. Cause like one of my friends is like, loves it so freaking much that we just kind of like razz him a little bit, but it's really just such a fun environment. That game, uh, Venezuela, Puerto Rico is the 12th, which is Sunday at seven. So great, great amount of time to catch that before the next game starts. Yeah. And then, so I think I might've been right with my Tuesday for the other one, but that didn't load up so easily. It's all good. Either way, no matter what, we should all tune in. If the Knicks aren't on, you should definitely watch this. And we need Wednesday. to get more young people into baseball. Wednesday at 7, Puerto Rico versus Dominican Republic. That's going to be a trip. Tune in. For sure, tune yeah. in. And also get their stuff on Mojo. Are you guys doing uh, props for the World Baseball Classic? No, we are expecting to launch baseball sometime earlier this season. Probably around the time the NBA regular season ends is the goal right now. Can't say anything because like, it's not set in stone right now. But expect baseball stocks on Mojo. And I'm... With my baseball affinity, I think I'm going to be central to the process of like player pool selection and helping out with that that element of it. James, I'm going to use you for all all picks. Anything you suggest, I'm going to take your word for it. I'm going to hope you can't, hope that you you can't say that because I work for a gambling company. So oh, that's true. fair. That's fair. I'm not going to take any Other of your picks, advice. Yeah, sure, but you got to gamble on Mojo instead. 
That's fair. That's that does make sense. Um, and now to finally get into the Mets because I do want to get some Mets info from you because again I have to pay attention to the Knicks for a lot of this time of year. The mm-hmm. Mets, as we all know, did not get Carlos Correa. So for any Mets fan that hasn't been tuning into the offseason, who are their biggest acquisitions that aren't rookies right now? I mean, it definitely starts and ends with Justin Verlander, one of the greatest pitchers of our generation, won the Cy Young last year, still seems to be on top of his game and nearly 40 years old coming off Tommy John surgery. He's slotting his rotation, more or less replacing Jacob deGrom, and we're expecting a yep. very big season out of Justin. Also, I interviewed Justin Verlander right after his press conference, 15 minutes on the Mets Stuff channel. Mets, you the Mets official YouTube channel, Mets up on Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. Really great interview, just incredible to talk to a guy who's like literally larger than life in terms of just being a like half a celebrity, just with Kate Upton, just being as famous as he has been for so long, and also being literally one of the greatest pitchers that anybody alive right now has ever seen. So, pretty cool for him. Resigning Brandon Nemo and Edwin Diaz were also major, major moves. Those guys yep. are both near the top of their Edwin Diaz is the best closer in baseball. It's not even close. Brandon Nimmo is one of the five best center fielders in all of baseball. Both got big money to stay home. Both really, really excited to have both of them back in the fold. And then past that, the Mets really filled out a lot of the depth on this roster. I'd say in the offseason. they pulled a lot of very interesting relievers and very bizarre trades, a lot of minutia stuff that probably would bore the average basketball fan. And then, and then what about the best the... pitcher that was in Japan? Oh yeah. Kodai Sanga. Of course I forgot about Sanga. You're right. Kodasenga, he's not, he wasn't the best pitcher in Japan. Rookie Sasaki, we're going to see in the World Baseball Classic, was the best pitcher still in Japan. He's like a 23-year-old, throws 100 miles an hour with a crazy splitter. He is ridiculous. He's probably coming to America in the next few years. But Sanga's coming over as a guy who sits like 96, 97, 98 miles an hour. He has the lowest average annual value of his contract for any player that throws an fa- average fastball higher than 96 and a half miles an hour as a starter. Wow. A little tidbit from the Mets Up podcast. So we're going to see that. He has a pitch that's called the Ghost Fork. Yeah, it's kind of his own invented pitch. It's like more or less a splitter, kind of a forkball, but he calls it the ghost fork. We also interviewed Sanga when he signed on the Messed Up podcast through his interpreter. He is hysterical. He's such a funny guy. To be able to like to crack jokes with someone who doesn't speak any word of your language and vice versa is a beautiful experience. Just to have that good of like body language and delivery. So, should tip the cap for Sanga to that. He has first start of the spring last Sunday. He looked pretty good. I'm excited to watch him. I'm a big pitching nerd. I think he, I think he has a chance to do some real, real special stuff. You are making me excited. I can't wait to tune in. I'm probably going to tune in in April a little bit, but I won't really be able to talk about it too much until May. I can only watch so many games. And yeah, then so what about a playoff run going on? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, hopefully they make it past the first round. I'm going to knock on a bunch of wood to get there. I and mean, hopefully they actually destroy Donovan Mitchell in the process. And then for the mm-hmm. four Mets rookies that are expected to be used throughout the year, starting from the most highly projected, I forget what the word is, MLB rankings versus to the lowest. It's uh, Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, Ronnie Mur- Mauricino, and Mark Vientos. Starting with Alvarez. Mauricio. Mauricio, yeah. there we go. Starting with Alvarez, what do you expect out of the four guys? Alvarez is a guy who I think is like a bit of a lightning rod right now, both like in the Mets circles, baseball circles, fancy baseball prospect people, because he is like, as a hitter, he's nearly ready to be in the major leagues. Like if you told me right now where he's going to play 150 games at DH this year, I would say he's probably going to be better in league average with the bat. Like as a 21, 22 year old hit 25 ish, 22 ish home runs and like really start to look like a guy who could have the potential to be a superstar at the plate. But the other side of that is that he is coming up as a catcher and catchers in major league baseball have so much to do. They have so much to be aware of. You have to get to know all these pitchers. You have to be able to block pitches. This year's stolen bases are probably going to jump like 30% across major league baseball. So what yeah. you're doing behind the plate is going to become more important than it has been years past. And I do think I do have some friends who have seen him. A uh, buddy of mine works for the Houston Astros organization. The Mets been playing a couple games there because their facilities are close to each other. And he said that Alvarez looked great behind the plate, looked much better than anybody ever said. And I do believe that. And you do see like his athleticism when he catches a lot. But again, there's so much mentally that you have to do as a catcher in Major League Baseball, especially 
with a very old pitching staff, a pitching staff that's super ready to win, a pitching staff that has three new guys in it that weren't even on this team last year, new guys to get to know, get to know how they like to play, how they like to pitch, what kind of game they like to be called, what they like to throw when, where, why, and how. But I do think Alvarez is still a guy who just projects to be a fantastic hitter. Like this power and his play, play discipline, his walk rates in the minor leagues are up there with very comparable to a player, Kyle Schwarber, who yep. was similarly a catcher whose bat was a little bit ahead of his, his glove and they wound up moving him off there. And now he's become one of the best power hitters in baseball. I'm not saying it's going to happen to Francisco Alvarez, but I do think there's going to be a, a situation this year where that choice will be presented. And it kind of, that becomes, that becomes a testament to a player's relationship with their organization, how you navigate that. What would you decide at some point? I know you're not the Mets GM, obviously, or a coach or anything. Would you decide at some point sooner rather than later to make him a move like to first base or outfield to get him out of the catcher role? There's, I don't know, there's two schools of thought with that. That's also, I'm also an employee of the Mets. So, you know, I can't really say everything, but it's like, you you have to decide where a player is going to give you the most value. And there's one school of thought there is that this player being a very good power hitter from the catcher position, if you're able to do anything back there, be be even okay with the glove, be average with the glove, be able to call a game, be able to throw enough guys out, and then you're able to be a dominant force at the bat, you've, you've just become one of the most valuable players in the entire sport. Yeah. So if there's any chance of that, it seems like it you it'd be useful to leave him in that role. But then the flip side of that is, like I said before, like if you're a team that needs a right-handed power bat, which every single team in the league does, the Mets are probably and find themselves in that boat, and you have one that's pretty ready, and you have a chance for an elite, elite, like elite hitting ceiling. Like you have a, you have a chance for a guy in his prime three, four years from now to be literally like not even mincing my words, like pushing 40, 45 home runs with like a 360 on base percentage. Like what he did in the minor league fence and maybe 50 home runs. <laughs> I know they did move the fence in this year, but that's going to help yeah. the lefties more. I think that was a big one for, you know, Lindor right. McNeil and uh, Brandon Nimmo, a bunch yeah. of big contracts there. So I'm excited about all those guys, a nice new fence they're going to have in there, but that's kind of where the difference is with Alvarez. Like if they, so if they think that they really need them right now, but that's, that's why I think that we should temper expectations for Francisco Alvarez in 2023. I think that he just is going to need a little bit more time in the minor leagues and these guys because of how difficult catching is and and just where the rest of this roster is in terms of the DH depth. So I do think that Alvarez still has the superstar potential, but I think this year we're going to learn a lot about what his future will look like. Awesome. I hope we get to see him more often than not. At least DH, like, I mean, is he going to start on the t- uh, original 25-man roster? He's supposed to at this point, right? Or are they going to have him uh, in AAA for a I while? Would, I'd say probably not. It's also 26-man roster now. I changed that a few years ago. But... I feel I just feel like right now they got Daniel Vogel back. They re-signed him. They brought him back. And I think he is going to be the stable DH to start. And whatever happens, things are always going to change in Major League Baseball season. There's 162 games. It goes on for six months. It is a marathon, not a sprint. That it is. I don't think fans should freak out when they don't see Francisco Alvarez's name on the opening day roster. Because I also think it's better for his development. Just play every day. Yeah. Get back, get back behind the pine that plate. Do what you gotta do. I think Absolutely. that's I hear of, that. probably the best thing for him. Yeah. That's fair. That does make sense if he gets more time in AAA to actually be able to work on mm-hmm. his craft, especially defensively. And then we'll follow. What about Brett Beatty? So we saw Brett Beatty a little bit in August last year. Uh, he ha- started out first hit was a home run. He did go downhill a little bit from there, and then unfortunately got yeah. hurt, missed the rest of the season. So this because he didn't actually hit the minimum at bats threshold. He's still technically a rookie this year, correct? Mm-hmm. What do you expect out of Brett this year? I love Brett Beatty so much as a person, as a prospect, as a player. Brett, I, th- I think Brett Beatty is like one of the most underrated prospects in the entire sport right now. I think a, a function of that is being overshadowed by Francisco Alvarez a little bit just because they're in the same system and Alvarez is ranked slightly higher in most like major prospect rankings, Pipeline, Baseball America, Fangraphs, and whatnot. But Brett Beatty does so many things well, man. Brett Beatty really knows how to put the bat in the ball. Brett Beatty has prodigious power. Brett Beatty's a 
hard worker. He's a smart dude. He's really likable. Every like, you tell like he's liked, he's liked, and he knows how to take a joke. He knows how to be a part of a locker room. That he's just like he's he's cool. Like it, it seems like a lot of things are going well for Brett Bailey right now. We interviewed him two years ago at the Arizona Fall League, like I mentioned, and like he like we made that contact. He walked up. He said what's up to us. Like he brought up stuff we talked about back then. Like he remembered it. Like he just really seems to be like a dude who it's like all coming together at the right time. He's crushing the ball in spring training. He's batting like over 500 in like 10 games. Like he is doing That's every awesome. single thing right. And I think that he's kind of forcing the Mets hand where he actually might break camp with the team. The only one out of all these prospects who I think has the opportunity to. And if he does and he just takes that job, you could be looking at a guy who is it will, who could be in the rookie of the year conversation. And like you said before, he is a tall, handsome Southern boy. The ladies of New York, you will have some eye candy. Brett Beatty, baby. There you go. Also, great name to say, Brett Beatty. You can say mm-hmm. it five times fast, and you can actually you oh. can actually say it, which is the most amazing thing. Nothing better than alliteration, right? I love it. I love it. And then what about uh, Ronnie Mauricio? Mauricio. Mauricio. Ronnie is a really interesting case because Ronnie was like a hotshot prospect when the Mets signed him because he signed him very young. He came into the league, and he was in rookie ball at like 17 years old, and that's kind of a rare thing. And he was hitting it well. He's super big, projectable, like 6'4 frame. I always tell people it looks like Brandon Marshall, like when yep. you're standing next to him. Oh, wow. He's, he's huge. And like I saw him then, and he was like, all right, this, this length he was going to fill out. And then he kind of fell down prospect list because he was never, he never had that like amazing season. Like he never did that thing that like the top five, top 10 prospects do where they're like 50% better than league average, like 25, 30 home runs across a minor league season, whatever. But he just has kept getting better. He's kept getting better. He's kept getting better. He last year he ended the season up triple A. He had a great year in double A. Then he went Very to the Dominican Winter League over this winter and he won the MVP and won the Lise Tigers championship. Best oh, player wow. on the team. Hit second third every single game. And like, oh, something's really happening here. And he's come to spring training like a man on a mission. He's hitting the crap out of the ball. He's two home runs over 450 feet in like the nine games he's played. He's still feeling a position at shortstop, which people didn't really expect at six four with a lot of mass building. Right. And he just looks super good doing it. And he's swinging, he's swinging and missing significantly less. He's only struck out one time this spring in like 17 at bats, which is that's for him, awesome. that's a huge deal because he's a guy who has struggled to build play discipline in the past. He also walked once, which walking once in 17 at bats isn't that great. But for Ron Mauricio, it's, it's not that bad because he's a guy who's been more of like, I'm going to swing, I'm going to try and get this hit tool going, I'm going to try to put my bat in the ball as much as possible. If he and he's he's been chasing less, he's been looking at pitches outside the strike zone more. A lot of things are happening this spring that have actually given me significantly more confidence, not only in his like long-term potential, but his potential to contribute on this Mets team in the near future, which is something I never would have said a month and a half ago. That's absolutely insane for a guy to jump that much. The The baseball classic he just did well in, or the winter, it was just this past winter. Dominican league, right? winter league, yes. Yeah, that's awesome. For him to actually yeah. be able to do that that recently. Timing is everything, man. No, and he's just hot. He had a hot into the season. He went right to the winter league and came right to spring training. He just never, never stopped. Baseball, baseball, baseball. And he's just, he's in it. And he looks really good. That's awesome. Uh, and then what about Mark Vientos, last but not least? Mark Vientos is good. Mark Vientos is another guy who was really hot as a prospect when he came when he got drafted. I believe he was second-round pick, and he was a little bit more athletic and lithe. He's put a lot more weight on his frame the last few years, become a guy who's going to be on the corners and just hit tanks. But I do think he still needs more time, especially in the first two guys I mentioned, because even though Vientos had a great season AAA last year, I think he had either nearly 30 home runs or just under 30 home runs. He still struck out about 30% of the time down there, which if you're going to strike out 30% of the time, you kind of got to tack on five points when you get to the next level. Yeah. So if you're striking out 35% of the time in the major leagues, you're probably not going to be super productive, especially as a guy who can't play premium defense well. And he just still hits the ball opposite field and on the ground a little bit more than I'd like. City field bringing the fences in, it will be able to help that right-handed opposite field power, but you really want to get to your pull side power, especially if you're a guy who's like your power is your calling card. Like that's your tool. That's your trade. Right. You want to be able to get around that ball and get the ball out the quickest way possible. And we've seen a couple other 
you know, very, very highly talented first base prospects the last two years, Spencer Torkus and Andrew Vaughn, who are kind of more right-handed or kind of more of those like slightly opposite field hitters struggle to get to their power in major league baseball games. So I do, I do have a little bit of concern with that for Vientos. I do think he's a guy who just could get a little bit better pitch recognition in the minor leagues. And I do think he will definitely start the season in the minor leagues. That's fair. All for Probably. the three, the three that are not Brett Beatty, you think triple a for all three of them or is double a an option for any yeah, of them? I think, I think triple a for sure. I think they'll be up in Syracuse. If anyone, any listeners live up there, good, good, good spot to go watch a game. Cause it'd be three guys who are basically major league players to be hanging out down there. It's a good time to get their autograph before they actually get up here. And it's so much easier to get at a, at a minor league game. I know that for a fact. Yeah. And also just to say, Hey, like these are these, like, I feel like we forget about with these guys. I've been learning it just from like talking and interviewing them. Like these are, these are kids. Like, Baby's like 23, like Alvarez is like 21, Mauricio's the same, like Vientos yeah. is like 22. It's like, these are just dudes. Like, you remember yourself when you were 22? That's what they are. They just Yeah, they're chill really frat bros, the basically. Yeah, they're not, I wouldn't say frat boys, but they're just like, they like to hang. Like, they just like like to be nice and like chill. So just like, say what's up to them. Be like, yeah, how you doing? And like, love your game. Like, all right, cool, thanks. Also, there's not a lot to do in Syracuse, so go to a game. <laughs> yeah, not really at all. Uh, James, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I got a couple of quick hitters for you, then I'll get you out of here. Uh or the last thing for the Mets, uh, their biggest strength going into the year and their biggest weakness. If they fail, what do you think happened? Mets' biggest strength, I would say, is depth. They've done a lot of good job this offseason in building out the back of their bullpen, building out the back of the rotation, building out their bench. I think they have a lot of players that are going to start the year on the 26, on the bench, and even at the top of that AAA roster who can't contribute and won't really miss a beat. And I think when you look at the best teams in baseball over the last few years, the ones that have the highest seeds going into the playoffs, like that's what they did. The Mets' biggest weakness is probably just the fact that they didn't get that right-handed power bat. They tried with Correa. People have said that that's kind of be what they needed. I do think there's a chance that, you know, Brett Bailey and Francisco Alvarez fill that power void. And I think a lot, uh, not a lot, but I think there is, you know, something on their shoulders this year because that didn't happen. I also just think there is always, I mean, it's baseball. Like their two aces are combined like 80 years old. Like there's always a chance someone gets hurt. Yeah. And not that, not that they can't get past that because last year, their two aces, DeGrom and Scherzer combined to barely make 30 starts. So and they still won 101 games. I do think that is a concern. Where if you're not going into the playoffs with those two guys feeling their best, then you're no longer like one of those upper echelon teams anymore. That makes sense. As long as the top two, two, even three, if uh, Kodai really actually shows out the way he potentially could, if the top three are healthy going into September, I think that's all you can really ask for. Yeah, Kodai's gonna be a high variance guy. It's always an adjustment coming to the major leagues for Japan because you're pitching a little more often. The ball's a little different. The hitters are expecting more velocity. So. It's going to be, there's going to be some amazing starts. There's going to be some bad starts. The command can be really bad or it can be really good. Sometimes his new sweeper is going to be working. Sometimes it's not. I would definitely tell everyone to like give, give Kodai a little bit of patience because I think people are expecting him to be like an ace. I don't think he's an ace. I think he's a guy who's going to be like a three, five, three, seven, three, eight, like three, nine ERA guy with hopefully 10 strikeouts per nine, maybe a hair under it, depending on how the stuff translates, but definitely give some patience because his upside is very important to what this team could use in the playoff series. That's awesome. I hopefully hits the high side and not the low side, you know? Yeah, And then last well, last question, I'll get you out of here. For both the Knicks and the Mets, most optimistic ending of both their seasons this year and then the most pessimistic ending to both their seasons this year. I would say for the Mets, obviously, it's win the World Series for the optimistic one, but... I'm going to say the same thing for the Knicks. Why are we playing this game? We're, kind of, we're trying to win a championship. I always want to win Knicks a championship. Can, <laughs> tell me Knicks can't grind the Celtics down in a seven-game series. I'm, I feel a little bit better I about don't that think they the could last beat, couple of weeks. I do, too. I just don't think they beat the Bucs. I just don't see it. They don't have to. I mean, maybe if they end up in the five, they will have to, but I don't know. Let's, I want to, I, I'm, this is the most optimistic I've been about the Knicks team in like, what, 10 years? Like, I'm since really excited to see 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Since the Tyson Chandler, Amari Mello squad. So I'm really, I'm just excited that they're really playing good basketball and they're finding different ways to win. There's different guys who can shoulder the load. We haven't been able to say this about Knicks team in a long ass time. It's amazing. 
This is so very true. Uh, I've, I've said this on prior podcasts. I think their their floor is losing in the first round. So the the Cavaliers would be the, the worst of the worst, obviously. Their ceiling I, is yeah. making it to the conference finals by avoiding the Bucks. And then for the Mets, obviously, we either win the World Series or September crap happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, baseball's a long season. They had the playoff teams this year, so it's something catastrophic would have to happen for them not to get there. But it's just baseball. Baseball's long. We're going to talk about this in March right now. Six months from now, baseball playoffs won't even have started yet. Yeah. So we just got just to gotta get out there day by day. Keep winning baseball games. Do as much as you can. Play good ball. Get to the playoffs. All New York needs to succeed at all times. This is the mm-hmm. first time in my adult lifetime, probably, I would assume yours too, I think I'm older than you, that there's a chance that the Rangers, Islanders, Mets, Yankees, Jets, Giants, Knicks, and Nets all make the postseason. All in eight. Year? It could in be cool. one calendar year. It would be absolutely amazing. Need that. James, before, uh, before we run, plug, plug Mojo, plug your podcast. Absolutely. First of all, anyone listen to this, follow me on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. It's mostly baseball stats and memes. If you like either of those things or if you just want to hang, I'm talking more about basketball and football now with all the Mojo stuff going on at Mojo. Like I said, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, putting out a lot of interesting stuff on there. Lots of tidbits about the products some fun TikToks and stuff. Just a lot of good, well-rounded content, I believe. And then Mets up, M-E-T-S-D-U-P. If you guys want some Mets content, Twitter's bumping. We get exclusive interviews with players because we work for the team and it's really great content. For all the people that follow and listen to me that have been asking me to do Mets stuff, follow this man right here. He's going to be where I get most of my info this year for sure. Please, I hope you got a new listener, at least one. James, thank you so much, man. Much appreciated. Let's go Knicks. Let's go Mets. Peace.